Section 8 of Three Science Fiction Novellas by Lee Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 8 of Enchantress of Venus. They left the stately buildings in the wide spaces behind them and went in among the trees. Stark hated the forest. The city was bad enough, but it was dead, honestly dead, except for those neat nightmare gardens. There was something terrifying about these great trees, full-leafed and green, rioting and flowering vines and all the rich undergrowth of the jungle, standing like massed corpses made lovely by mortuary art. They swayed and rustled as the coiling fire swept them, branches bending to that silent, horrible parody of wind. Stark always felt trapped there, and stifled by the stiff leaves and the vines. But he went, and Vara slipped like a silver bird between the great trunks, apparently happy. I have come here often, ever since I was old enough. It's wonderful. Here I can stoop and fly like one of my own hawks. She laughed and plucked a golden flower to set it in her hair, and then darted away again, her white legs flashing. Stark followed. He could see what she meant. Here, in this strange sea, one's motion was as much flying as swimming, since the pressure equalized the weight of the body. There was a queer sort of thrill in plunging headlong from the treetops, to arrow down through a tangle of vines and branches, and then sweep upward again. She was playing with him, and he knew it. The challenge got his blood up. He could have caught her easily, but he did not. Only now and again he circled her to show his strength. They sped on and on, trailing wakes of flame, a black hawk chasing a silver dove through the forest of a dream. But the dove had been fledged in an eagle's nest. Stark wearied of the game at last. He caught her, and they clung together, drifting still among the trees with the momentum of that wonderful weightless flight. Her kiss at first was lazy, teasing, and curious. Then it changed. All Stark's smoldering anger leaped into a different kind of flame. His handling of her was rough and cruel, and she laughed, a little fierce, voiceless laugh, and gave it back to him, and remembered how he had thought her mouth was like a bitter fruit that would give a man pain when he kissed it. She broke away at last and came to rest on a broad branch, leaning back against the trunk and laughing, her eyes brilliant and cruel as Stark's own. And Stark sat down at her feet. "'What do you want?' he demanded. "'What do you want with me?' She smiled. There was nothing sidelong or shy about her. She was bold as a new blade. "'I'll tell you, wild man.' He started. "'Where did you pick up that name?' "'I've been asking the Earthman Larrabee about you. It suits you well.' She leaned forward. This is what I want of you. Slay me, Egil, and his brother, Cond. Also, Boar, who will grow up worse than either, although I can do it myself, if you're adverse to killing children, though Boar is more a monster than a child. Grandmother can't live forever, and with my cousins out of the way, she's no threat. Treon doesn't count. And if I do, what then? Freedom, and me. You'll rule Shuron at my side. Stark's eyes were mocking. For how long, Vara? Who knows, and what does it matter? 
The ears take care of themselves, she shrugged. The Lahari blood has run out, and as time there was a fresh strain. Our children will rule after us, and they'll be men. Stark laughed. He roared with it. It's not enough that I'm a slave to the Lahari. Now I must be executioner and herd bull as well. He looked at her keenly. Why me, Vara? Because, as I have said, you are the first man I've seen since my father died. Also, there's something about you. She pushed herself upward to hover lazily, her lips just brushing his. Do you think it would be so bad a thing to live with me, wild man? She was lovely and maddening, a silver witch shining among the dim fires of the sea, full of wickedness and laughter. Stark reached out and drew her to him. Not bad, he murmured. Dangerous. He kissed her, and she whispered, I think you're not afraid of danger. On the contrary, I'm a cautious man. He held her off where he could look straight into her eyes. I owe Egil something on my own, but I will not murder. The fight must be fair, and Khan will have to take care of himself. Fair? Was Egil fair with you? Or me? He shrugged. My way or not at all. She thought it over for a while, then nodded. All right. As for Khan, you will give him a blood debt, and pride will make him fight. The Lahari are all proud, she added bitterly. That is our curse, but it's bred in the bone, as you'll find out. One more thing. Zareth and Helvi are to go free, and there must be an end to this slavery. She stared at him. You drive a hard bargain, wild man. Yes or no? Yes and no. Zareth and Helvi you may have, if you insist, though the gods know what you see in that pallid child. As to the other, she smiled very mockingly. I'm no fool, Stark. You're evading me, and two can play that game. He laughed. Fair enough. And now tell me this, which with silver curls, how am I to get at Egil that I may kill him? I'll arrange that. She said it with such vicious assurance that he was pretty sure she would arrange it. He was silent for a moment, and then he asked, Vara, what are the Lahari searching for at the bottom of the sea? She answered slowly, I told you that we are a proud clan. We were driven out of the high plateaus centuries ago because of our pride. Now it's all we have left, but it's a driving thing. She paused and then went on. I think we had known about the city for a long time, but it had never meant anything until my father became fascinated by it. He would stay down here days at a time exploring, and it was he who found the weapons and the machine of power which is on the island. He found the chart and the metal book hidden away in a secret place. The book was written in pictographs, as though it was meant to be deciphered and the chart showed the square with the ruined building and the temples, with a separate diagram of catacombs underneath the ground. The book told of a secret, a thing of wonder and of fear, and my father believed that the building had been wrecked to close the entrance to the catacombs where the secret was kept. He determined to find it. Sixteen years of other men's lives. Stark shivered. What was the secret, Vara? The manner of controlling life, how it was done I do not know, 
but with it one might build a race of giants, of monsters, or of gods. You can see what that would mean to us, a proud and dying clan. Yes, answered Stark slowly. I can see. The magnitude of the idea shook him. The builders of the city must have been wise indeed in their scientific research to evolve such a terrible power. To mold the living cells of the body to one's will. To create, not life itself, but its form and fashion. A race of giants, or of gods. The Lahari would like that. To transform their own degenerate flesh into something beyond the race of men to develop their followers into a corps of fighting men that no one could strike against, to see that their children were given an unholy advantage over all the children of men. Stark was appalled at the realization of the evil they could do if they ever found that secret. Vara said, There was a warning in the book. The meaning of it was not quite clear, but it seemed that the ancient ones felt that they had sinned against the gods and been punished, perhaps by some plague. They were a strange race, and not human. At any rate, they destroyed the great building there as a barrier against anyone who should come after them, and let the Red Sea in to cover their city forever. They must have been superstitious children, for all their knowledge. Then you all ignored the warning and never worried that a whole city had died to prove it. She shrugged. Oh, Terran has been muttering prophecies about it for years. Nobody listens to him. As for myself, I don't care whether we find the secret or not. My belief is it was destroyed along with the building. And besides, I have no faith in such things. Besides, mocked Stark shrewdly, you wouldn't care to see Egil and Cond striding across the heavens of Venus, and you're doubtful just what your own place would be in the new pantheon. She showed her teeth at him. You're too wise for your own good. And now, goodbye. She gave him a quick, hard kiss and was gone, flashing upward, high above the treetops where he dared not follow. Stark made his way slowly back to the city, upset and very thoughtful. As he came back into the great square, heading toward the barracks, he stopped, every nerve taut. Somewhere, in one of the shadowy temples, the clapper of a votive bell was swinging, sending its deep, pulsing note across the silence. Slowly, slowly, like the beating of a dying heart it came, and mingled with it was the faint sound of Zareth's voice calling his name. End of Section 8